Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3, if you will. Genesis chapter 3. I want to try to continue, maybe wrap up kind of where we have been. You know, we started this journey out looking at this idea that um, the church has a standard and the church has a response in times like these, in the moments of pressure and moments of challenge and, uh, you know, all that we're seeing happen. I was just talking right before service and, you know, there's plenty that is happening that might seem like it's out of our control. But what we are in control of is our response. You know that, right? In life, you're going to come through and go through situations that are beyond your control and that are beyond uh, what you uh, have the opportunity to cause or not cause. But we always have control of our responses. We always have control of what are we going to do in response to something. And as a church... These are the exact moments that we are built for. These are the exact moments that we are made for. And as I've said before, in moments of trial and in moments of pressure, that's where you find out what you really have. That's where you find out what you're really made of. Uh, That's where you find out, you know, I was just talking with Chase this morning about this, that, you know, if, if you weren't really steady and strengthened in your marriage before quarantine, well, guess what quarantine's going to do? It's only going to reveal the level of strength in your marriage. Now, it's going to be a great opportunity to work on some things, sure. But what gets fleshed out? And what gets flushed out when trial shows up, when pressure shows up? It shows you what you're really made of. And a lot of us were coasting before all this happened, and now things are removed and limitations are put on, and we find out what we really have to work with. And so, you know, these are opportunities that show us, and maybe you weren't real excited with the results that came out. That's okay. We can work on that. Amen? We can build on that. We can strengthen that. And if you were getting results that were like, man, that's exciting. That's exactly what I want to see. You want to build on that. Every time we hear the word, one of two things happens. Every time I preach, every time you put yourself before the word of God, you're doing one of two things. You are either planting a seed for the first time. You're either hearing something that you never heard before. You're having a new word implanted within you. Man, that's good. I've never heard that before. I've never heard it put that way. I've never seen that before. I've never uh, had that revealed to me before. That's one way. But if you have heard it before, then the second thing that's happening in your life is you are watering what was already there. Are you hearing me? We never come into these moments where they don't have an opportunity to impact our life. Oh, I've heard that passage before. Great. Let's water it. Let's feed on that. Let's strengthen that. Let's prune that. Maybe it needs some cutting away. Maybe it needs some trimming down. So anytime we come into these opportunities, whether I recognize, man, I need this in my life, or maybe I'm recognizing I need this to be strengthened in my life. You're either forming a new belief today, or we're strengthening a belief that was already formed within you. Only one of two things is happening. And if you reject either the planting or the strengthening, then you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life. So my position, my my condition that I come into this place or that that I'm in when I hear the word of God never removes me from, from what the word of God can do in my life. Amen? So does anybody wanna have a belief formed today? Does anybody wanna have a, a belief strengthened today? Amen. I want to have some, I want to walk out of here better than I came in. I want to come through this crisis better than I was when I went into it. Anybody else? Because I will. Like we're just saying, great are you, Lord. He is great regardless of what's happening in our lives. You recognize that. Nothing will ever change that. Nothing you ever go through, no trial, no, no tragedy, no circumstance will ever change the greatness of your God. He is God. He's immovable. He's unshakable. He's unchangeable. He is steadfast. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way he was uh, in the Bible is the way he is today, and the way he is today is the way he's going to be another thousand years from now. Nothing changes him. The only thing that changes is my perspective of him, the way I see him. Amen. Great are you, Lord. That is a constant. And you know what's on the horizon? The horizon for his church, greater and better things. I said greater and better things. Things will get better. Things will be greater. There is greatness being shaped inside of you in the midst of this. And a lot of times these pressures and these these things that we go through and these things, we were made for this. That's what I want to encourage the church with. You and I were made for this. This is the very reason why we exist. And so I'm not going to reject and push back on what God is trying to do. I want to receive what God is trying to do and what he's trying to shape in me. In Genesis chapter 3, we know in Genesis 1, God created uh, the entire earth, the heavens and the earth. He created man, put man on the earth, created man uh, not to just be another form of creation, but he actually created man with the opportunity and the ability to rule over the creation that God created. God created the stars, God created the moon, God created the water, God created the land, God created the animals, God created the plants and vegetation. God created everything that we see, everything that is in this earth is created by him. And then on the sixth day, God creates you and I, human form. And he creates man with a distinct purpose and a distinct plan to rule and to reign over all that he created in the five previous days. And then on the seventh day, God rested. God gave man, Adam, this one command, do not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden or you will surely die. What is the result of eating of the tree? Death. Death, not the form of death that you and I know as in a life being removed from our body, but death in the sense that we are separated from God who is the life source. That is by which we are able to operate and rule and carry out Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Without the, the, the connection to heaven and the connection with God the Father, we cannot fulfill the purpose and the plan for which he created us. One command. Do not eat of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she quoted what God had spoken to them. But she misquoted what God said, because that's not what God said. God did not say, if you touch it, you will die. She added that. She added that into the communication. She added details that were not there. Why is that important? Because the moment she touches it and doesn't die, guess what she's thinking? Then I must be able to eat it and not die. It's very important for us to know the Word of God. I said it's very important for us to know the Word of God and know exactly what the Word of God says, not man's idea or formation or opinion of the Word of God. You notice here, we've, we've got one simple command. This is paradise. There's no sin in the earth. And even then, they're having a hard time truly defining what God's Word is. Do we have this struggle today? Absolutely. That's why we have over 360,000 different denominations just within Christianity alone. 360,000 different ways that we all read the Bible. That's a mess. That's a problem. Because God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's, it, is, uh, it will never be exhausted. It will never run out of, I will never be able to say, okay, I've read it all. I've got all that God's word has for me. I can always see something new in the word of God. I can always gain and add to what 
I already know. And so I'm not reading the word of God for knowledge's sake. I'm reading the word of God and I'm knowing the word of God because it is the life source to me. That was their life source. And in one simple statement, shall not touch it. She's already expounded on what God said. God doesn't need us to add to his word and he doesn't need us to take away from his word. His word will produce everything in your life just the way it is. I said just the way it is. Didn't take long and it didn't take a lot. We don't even have 10 commandments. We just have one. One command. She says, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. This is exactly what the enemy wants to do with the word of God, is he wants to question and challenge its authority in your life. He immediately responds, immediately retorts, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy attacks Adam and Eve by challenging the authority of God's word. That's where the attack, anytime you face an attack in your life, it's the enemy challenging the authority of God's word, which means it's important for me to, number one, know God's word. I got to know it. Amen. But number two, I've got to do it. I believe this serpent's eyes got really big when he heard Eve add and expound on God's command. Because now he's beginning to see an inroad. Now he's beginning to see access. Because let me remind you that Adam and Eve do not need to pray to God to have this snake removed from their midst. There's nothing God needs to do. God doesn't need to come down and take care of the snake himself. They don't need to cry out, oh God, this snake is tormenting us. Oh God, this snake is trying to tempt us. Oh God, please remove the temptation. That's what we do. We act like God's gonna come and take, down, take care of our problems, but I'm reminding you, they were the ones that had authority and dominion on the planet. They were the ones. If they would have cried out to God and said, God, do something about this snake, you know what God would have said? You do something about the snake. You do something about it. I gave you the authority. I gave you the, the, the uh, designated and delegated power to rule that territory. That's your territory. You do something with it. You know, if you rent a home from someone, you don't need to call the owner to tell them it's really hot in the house and you need them to come turn the AC down. What are they going to tell you? That's your area. That's your domain. We've given you access. We've delegated that authority. You can do that. Now, there's some things you can't do because you're not the owner. Like sell the house <laughs> and get the profit. That doesn't work. No, God is the owner of creation by right of creation. He owns it because he created it. Psalms 24 tells us what? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to him, yet he's put it within your control and within your ability to manage. That word dominion in Genesis chapter 1 literally means to control. It means to subdue. It means to manage. So I wonder how many times we're crying out to God to do something about a situation that he's put in our ability to control and manage. Yeah. If it's in this realm and if it's in this territory, it is ours to manage. It's ours to manage. Amen. When God spoke and said to the people, to Adam and Eve, to man, you have dominion, he immediately removed his ability to operate in the earth without using you and I. And it's quiet, because y'all just realized we can't just pray and cry out to God for stuff like we have been. 
We've got to start, instead of praying to God about stuff, we've got to start talking to stuff. I said, you got to start talking to stuff. Talk to the coronavirus and tell it where to go. You have that authority. Talk to the spiritual powers and the wickedness. It's not a left issue. It's not a right issue. It's an evil issue. It's a Satan issue. It's a sin issue. Hello? Tell you right now, there's no man on earth that has the kind of control and the power that you think they have to do what they're doing. No, there is spiritual wickedness in heavenly places that are are maneuvering and manipulating things to put them in place to carry out their plan because they know their time is coming to a close. He's working harder. He's working quicker. He's working younger. Our children are exposed to and are at more danger and at more risk today than ever. That's why abortion rates are as high as they are. That's why divorce rates are as high as they are. That's why he's attacking the family structure. It's not about the parents. It's about the kids that are affected by the divorce. Yeah. You got to know who's really behind all this, who's manipulating all this. And the enemy is working night and day while the church sleeps and slumbers and waits for heaven when we were told to occupy till he comes. Yeah? There's nothing they need to do about this. There's nothing God needs to do about this snake. Notice that God didn't even warn them about this snake. His ultimate enemy, the one enemy that God has, This angel of light, Lucifer, that was in heaven and roused himself up against God, wanted God to bow down and worship him, wanted to be greater than God, took a third of the angels with him. God cast them out. The only enemy God has, you would think the first thing God would do is let Adam and Eve know there's a snake down there. There's somebody down there that's not too, too, too fond of me. There's somebody down there, he's trying to overthrow me. I'm sure he'll try to overthrow you because you're made in my image, you're made in my likeness. And if he try to take me out, he'll surely try to take you out. Watch out for him. He doesn't even warn him, why? Because if, he, if Adam and Eve follow and adhere to God's word, this snake does not have any access to them whatsoever. Are you, do you realize this? We think this, we think the devil just roams around. The Bible says he roams around like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. He roams around like one, trying to cause fear and trying to bring division and trying to bring strife and working all that he's working. But he is not that powerful, especially against the church of the living God. That's you and I. We're the most powerful entity on this planet. Nothing can overcome you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in you? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit living inside of you is greater than anything the enemy can try to throw at you. There's nothing you should fear. There is nothing that we should fear. The enemy's not that powerful. The only only way the enemy can work in your life is if you give him access. How? Through disobedience. That's why we talked about what we talked about last week. That's why we're trying to help us understand that the the, the church is not going to operate in the earth the way we were called to be if we're toying around with the ways of the world. It's not going to work. I can tell you about all the promises, the benefits, the privileges, the the citizenship, what it means to be a child of God. He loves you. He cares for you. He's redeemed you. He's restored you. He's refreshed you. He's given you a new life. The old things are gone. New things are come. But if we don't submit to his ways, we're opening up the door for the enemy to come in and have his way. This is the truth. The door is closed in Genesis 3, verse 1, and verse 2, and verse 3, and verse 4. And look what the enemy says in verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, 
And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what I find very interesting about the the enemy's tactic and the enemy's plan here is he's not tempting Adam and Eve with evil, outright evil. He's not tempting them to walk away from God. He's not tempting them, you know, in their mind to sin, to murder, to kill, to destroy. Uh, he, he's not trying to, uh, you know, in you know, outright on the surface divide them, although we know that that's the byproduct. Look at what he tempts them with. And you will be like God. That's an interesting way to attack Adam and Eve. He wants them to be more like God. See, this is how the enemy gets us to buy lies. Because you think you're trying to approach righteousness. You think that you're trying, and, and notice, remember in Genesis chapter one, they were created in the what? Image and likeness. Adam and Eve couldn't be any more like God than they were in Genesis 1 verse 26. He's tempting them with something they already have. He's tempting them with something they already are. He's tempting them to be more like God. And then he says this, knowing good and evil. Now we have this hunger for knowledge. Wait a minute, there's more to know? Wait a minute, I can know something that I don't already know? We we don't need to know anything outside of the word. They weren't designed to know evil. Up until Genesis chapter 3, they only knew good. And apparently God was okay with that. This was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's dangling something over them. He's, 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 He's approaching them with this idea that there's something that God is withholding from you. There's something that God is trying to keep from you. There's something that God knows that you don't know, but if you eat of this fruit and if you disobey his command, then you will know what he's trying to hold what he's trying to withhold from you. Then the uh, verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. And here it is, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And just as the serpent said, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Their eyes were opened. They saw what they didn't see before. They knew what they didn't know before. The result came, but it was something that God never designed for them to carry. Then they saw that their their eyes were open. Then they saw that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So the first time they did something for themselves that God didn't do for them. Because that is how, that's the result when we disobey God's word, when we, when we are not aligned with his plan and with his purpose, then we're left to our own resources. Then we're left to our own ability to manage the situation. Then we're left to our own ability to try to fix what we broke. And we know that this wasn't even suitable. God eventually comes and he kills uh, some animals and makes for them uh, uh, coverings out of their skin sheds the blood because where the blood isn't shed, there isn't life. You and I, when we think of blood, what do we usually think of? Death. You know what God thinks of when he thinks of blood? Life. Without blood, there is no life. So God was making a statement. Your solution and your resources and your, you, you trying to fix this issue will never work, but I have a solution for you. My solution contains life, and my solution contains the real answer and the real redemptive answer. And he goes on, and he actually gives his plan that, the, that I'm going to send my son through a woman, and she's going to redeem mankind. But we've got a real issue here. 
in paradise, in a perfect scenario with no sin, man is tempted to sin by the enemy, an enemy who they have authority over, an enemy who they have the full ability to control. That enemy didn't overtake them. That enemy didn't overthrow them. They rightfully handed over everything God had for them by disobeying, by disobeying and not remaining submitted to the word of God. It was this knowledge, this knowledge, this hunger to know something. We started off when we were, began this talk and we looked at the story of the woman that committed adultery. And she was brought before everyone, brought into a public place right before Jesus by Pharisees. Pharisees. Pharisees who loved the idea of knowing something but did not do what they knew. Pharisees that loved the idea of gaining and accessing more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge, but they were just simply educated in their minds. They did not contain the capacity to do what they knew. And this is where the danger comes. When we seek after mere knowledge of something, without the actual action that follows the knowledge, we have an issue. Name one industry that you would trust because somebody says they know about it, but they've never actually done it before. Would you go see that surgeon? Would you take your vehicle to that mechanic? Would you have them come work on your roof? I've never actually worked on a roof, but I know how to do it. See, God is looking for, the, 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 I'll take it even further, the world is looking for a church that doesn't just know stuff. When you get into issue with the law, you don't need a law book, you need a lawyer. When you have a medical issue, you don't need a, a medical book that tells you about your condition and why you're having these issues. You need a doctor that knows how to go in and fix the problem. Hello? But then when we get to the church, we puff up with knowledge like a Pharisee, but can't actually do anything about people's plight and people's problem because we aren't living what we know. This is the problem. Last week, we went through Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, recognizing that I, I have a certain responsibility to hold myself accountable to the word of God. He says to walk worthy of the calling. I said he says to walk worthy of the calling, which means I can walk unworthy of my calling. But I need to walk worthy of the calling, uh, understanding that there are restrictions and limitations in my life. You jump on down to verse 17, and he says, do not walk as the Gentiles walk. Do not live as the way the world lives. And then he goes on a list of behavior. He goes on a list of giving you an idea. We don't talk this way. We don't act this way. We don't look this way. We don't dress this way. We don't speak this way. We don't joke this way. We don't treat people this way. We don't respond to situations. He goes on through the behavior issues. Real exciting message, I know. You guys were just shouting me down, running laps around this place. But don't tell me God's not interested in our behavior and God isn't interested in our actions and God doesn't care about how we act as long as we pray to prayer and one day we're all going to heaven. That's not the God that I serve. God wants us to be a light in the midst of darkness and light doesn't shine if we cover it up with darkness ourselves. Doesn't work. But to take you back to Ephesians chapter four, I'll give you the, the portion that we missed. Because last week's message isn't possible if we don't understand what's in the middle. Last week's message doesn't work if we don't understand what's in verses 11 through 16. 
the enemy defeated and was given the authority that God had given to man by a form of trickery, by getting them to access the idea of knowing something without doing it and applying it. God never designed us to simply know his word outside of him. This book is not a way for us to puff ourselves up in prideful knowledge of something. This book is a way to begin a journey and a relationship with someone. You could put it this way. God isn't just merely interested in you knowing something. He wants you to know someone. He wants you to know someone. This is not about collecting information. What you're doing today is not just a, a mere religious practice and formality that we do because that's what Christians do is we attend churches and, and we sing songs and, and, and we, we you know, have other believers that are friends that we hang out with and fellowship with and, and then we hear a message with three points and then we go to Cracker Barrel or the buffet and hope that it's not that big of a line, right? That's, that, that, that's not what we're doing today. This is a training ground. This is a training ground because Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And as we learned a few weeks ago, one of the issues in society is this idea of preference. We all have our preferences. We all have the stuff that we like. We all have a way that we like it. We all have, uh, you know, you can put it this way and do it this way, but don't get too far over here. But where the church is messed up is we limit ourselves by our preferences. He gave five gifts. And out of all of those, we all can go through and say, well, yeah, I, I, I really like pastors. That, that's my thing. I, I like those teachers. I like it when they teach the word of God. I like to take notes. I like to take pages of notes and, and have all these notes. Uh, and, and then, you know, some of you are like, well, I'm really into the prophetic ministry. I love, you know, when God is just speaking prophetically into our world. And so then we, what do we do? When, when we side with one, we cut ourselves off from the other. But we need all five. We really love those evangelists, man. They're just zealous about going out and winning the loss. And they have these huge crusades. And, and, and they, they give these massive altar calls. And people come running down. And they're praying the prayer of salvation. And it's preference. But Jesus gave us these gifts, all five of them. And they have a purpose, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So let's just camp right here on verse 12 real quick. The fivefold gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all five of them, not just the one that you like, is given, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. For the equipping, whatever comes after the word for gives purpose to what precedes it. So the fivefold ministers, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles, exist to equip the saints. Now, who's the saints? That's the church. That's the body of Christ. That's you and I. That's believers. That's Christians. Saints, not the world. Not one of these gifts was given for the world. That's not what it says. It doesn't say equipping the world. It says equipping the saints. Equipping the saints. The word equip, the word equip here means to furnish or provide with whatever is needed for use. The word equip here means to provide or furnish whatever is needed for use. For use. The church has substituted a different word for equip. 
In these last days, the church has substituted a word for equip, educate. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the educating the saints. Now, education is important. Education is an element of equipping, but it is not equipping. Equipping means that I educate and I teach you and I make known to you something, but I also come alongside you and help you do it. You don't want an educated doctor. You want an equipped doctor. You don't want an educated uh, airman going out and fighting for our country. You want an equipped. You don't want an airman that has sat through a class on how to fire a weapon. You want one that is equipped with the weapon and the knowledge of how to use it. Can I get an amen? We don't want police officers that are merely educated. We want them to be equipped. We don't want doctors that are merely educated. We want them to be equipped. Are you with me? So when we limit our growth and our work in the body of Christ to merely being educated about something, but never really giving, uh, never really being given the ability to use or work what we know, you know what we create when we only educate the body of Christ? Pharisees. That's the exact definition of a Pharisee. One that knows something, but is not equipped to use it or do it. James chapter 1, verse 21. James chapter 1 and verse 21. It says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, That's what we talked about last week. I've got to undo some things. When I come out of darkness into light, guess what? I've got to undo and I've got to unlearn some things. Anybody had to unlearn some things? Anybody had to let go of some things? Anybody had to trim away some things? Anybody had to say, you know what? I can't do that anymore. I can't hang out with those people anymore. I can't talk like that anymore. You, you, have you ever noticed how strong the, con, the level of conviction is in our life when we first become born again? But over time, that conviction begins to wane for some reason. We all of a sudden begin to tolerate more and accept more and do more and allow more. Who changed? Not God. Who changed? Not his word. We did. He didn't, you know, we, you, don't, you don't get tenure in Christianity and say, you've been a Christian 10 years. We, you can do this stuff and allow this stuff because you're stronger spiritually. If anything, you should be doing less at 10 years later, 15 years later. I mean, Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, saying, man, when I first started out, I know what I taught you. I know what we preached to you. And you are spiritual babes. But now I've come back four to seven years later. And guess what? You still can't handle the meat of the word. I'm having to bring you the milk of the word like spiritual babies. Why? Because you're talking about one another. You're gossiping with one another. You're allowing some crazy sins in your church. You're, you're misusing communion. What was he saying? Over time, there's an expectation of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity doesn't allow you to uh, tolerate more in your life. We grow further in our walk with the Lord, grow closer in our walk with the Lord, and guess what? Things begin to get pruned, and things begin to fall off, and things begin to become unacceptable. And they might have been acceptable one day, but they're no longer acceptable anymore. Hebrews 11 tells us, or Hebrews 12 tells us, to cast off every sin and weight that easily besets us. Now, when I was growing up, we would allow weights. We were pretty hard on sins. Now, today, we're redefining sin in the church. In the church, we're redefining what is actually a sin. What is actually acceptable? What is actually okay? 
The church entertains so much garbage today and tolerates and allows, makes allowances uh, uh, for, for, for so many things of the flesh today that it's getting really hard to make a distinction between the world and the church. That's the truth. It's, it's getting ridiculous, the people, the, the, the questions that people ask me. What, what do you think about this? And what do you, there would have been no question 15 years ago, 25 years ago, 50 years ago. And again, I'm not talking about the world. I don't expect the world to align their, their plans and their vision and their agenda with God's word. It, it's impossible for them to do so. But in the church, who changed? Not God. But maybe it's because we've just been busy educating people. But to equip means I'm going to furnish you with the ability to apply what you know. Because James 21, 1 verse 21 says, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And that word in the Greek means all. All means all. That's how it's translated. Doesn't mean some. Doesn't mean a few. Means all. Let's lay aside all that separates us, all that goes against what God's word says. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. Notice, if I don't let go of one, I can't receive the other. I can't, let, I, I can't receive the word of God if I am allowing and tolerating certain things in my life. Maybe the reason why we haven't seen some things come to pass in our life is because we are too consumed with things of the world to be consumed by God himself. Man, y'all are quiet. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is what? Able to save your souls. What do we do with that word, James? Verse 22. But, everyone say but. But be doers of the word. So now he's giving uh, uh, an exhortation. Now he's saying, but listen, wait. When you receive the word, make sure you don't just hear the word. Notice here. Lay aside all filthiness. Lay aside all wickedness. Receive the word of God. But when you receive the word, make sure you don't just receive it in one ear and out the other. Make sure it's not just head knowledge. Make sure it's not just puffing you up in pride. Make sure it's not just knowledge to you about something. But make sure that you are not just a doer of the word. Or make sure you are a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Now look what he says here deceiving yourselves. What's the quickest way to deception? Gaining knowledge about something and thinking that you're able to do it by simply knowing about it. That's deception. It's deception when you walk out of here after hearing a message, after hearing the word of God spoken, but then never putting it into practice in your life. You are the most deceived person on the planet thinking I've got something when you never did. You've only started the process. This, when you walk out the door, you've merely started the process of what the word of God can do in your life. And the implanting of the seed and the, the, the placing of the seed in good soil, that is huge. I mean, just going off of biblical statistics, the sower sows the word of God and only one out of four types of ground even got it. Hello? So off of biblical statistics, we could go around the room and didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it, got it. Didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it, got it. Didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it, got it. We could go on down the room and one out of four will produce a harvest of the word of God because, and it all took place at the sowing. The seed going in the ground. One of them didn't even receive it at all. I'm, I'm pouring out seed right now. I'm, I'm spreading seed. I'm sowing seed on the ground. And some won't even get it at all. Then some will receive it with joy. Man, Pastor Mark, that's a great word. And they'll walk out of here and the cares of the world will choke out what I just said. I'll preach healing 
and you'll go back to your sickness and to your symptoms and you'll choke out everything I just ministered. The cares of the world. One of them says that they received the word with joy. Man, that's a great word, Pastor Martin. And then the trials of life hit. And it strains the word of God and restricts it and keeps it from bearing fruit. So you'll get out there and you'll read CNN and it'll overflow and overthrow everything I'm ministering to you right now. Fear will take over your life. Man's agendas, the struggles and the challenges of the world will choke out what I'm saying right now. But one of them, it says, falls on good ground. And that's the ground where the seed goes in and then the seed is watered. That means you're meditating on it. The word meditate in the Bible means to chew on. Means to to think on. Keep in front of you. Hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You got to do something with the word. Man, I'm preparing it. I'm working all week putting together a good meal for you. I'm adding a little bit of this, and I'm adding a little bit of that, and then I place it before you. But, but are, are you, are, are, is it providing any benefit to you? Because I, I would even propose this to you, that it is better for you to never hear and never know than for you to know and never do. I would propose that it'd be better for you not to be sitting here today. It'd be better for you not to give the ear to the word. Now, that's not a great alternative either. Let's just go ahead and tell you. Pastor Mark said, I don't have to go to church. You try that and see what it works. See how that works out for you. Remove God from the equation altogether. Instead of just giving him this little piece and then going out and doing the rest of your life on your own, just get, let, let the world have all of it. That's not a greater alternative. The only alternative that's going to produce results in your life is coming in here and receiving and being educated and hearing the word of God and then walking out a doer so we're not deceived thinking that we got something that we didn't. I don't care about the diploma on the wall of the brain surgeon when this is a life or death issue. I want to know what your track record is. I want to know what you've done. I want to know if you're equipped. You have the tools necessary. Education is part of that, but it's not all of it. I want to know. And in a day like today, we need equipped believers, not educated believers. Oh, they're, they're, they're out there. Facebook's full of them. They will tell you all. They'll throw the scriptures at you. They'll throw the scriptures at you about walking in love, but they don't know how to walk in love themselves. They've never practiced it, never put it into practice, never tried it. Yeah. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, verse 18 saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make what? Disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. So teaching is a part of it. But teaching them to what? Observe all things that I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you see that teaching is a part of it. But a disciple, you know, we've replaced that word in the church with the word convert. doesn't say to make converts, right? What's a disciple? A disciple is one that is a pupil and a follower and ultimately an imitator of the one they follow. You can't say you are a follower of someone if you don't do what they say to do and do as them. We've redefined the word follower today. It means that I hit follow on your profile. And it means that your crazy cat pictures show up in my feed all day long. And your political comments and 
what you think about kids going back to school and you telling us that you gotta have coffee today. Everybody's posted that one. This is me without coffee. I gotta have my coffee. Don't talk to me till I've had coffee. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Yeah, that's what it means to be a follower, that I just look at your stuff all day. No, that's not a follower. Not according to the word of God. A disciple is a pupil. And we know that we're equipped when we can follow. We know that we are equipped when we can imitate. Yeah, I believe that's what Acts chapter, or Ephesians chapter five, verse one says. Therefore, remember that what we said last week, when you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And the word therefore is there because it's connecting it to equipping the saints for the work of ministry. When we equip the saints for the work of ministry, therefore be imitators of Christ. Gotta make the connection. Yeah, being imitators of Christ sounds like a tall task, a tall order. Well, we're supposed to be like Christ? Absolutely. How do I get there? I become equipped. Let's keep on reading in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. Or verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the what? Work. You didn't realize there was work to do, did you? You didn't realize that you have a job to do. You have an assignment. There's something for you to do. I know when we think of work of ministry, who do we usually think of? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But this verse tells me that those things exist to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Wow. To do the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Paul, how long are we supposed to Listen to apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophets for my equipping, my strengthening, my edifying. How long should I do this, Paul? Verse 13, until we all come to the unity of the faith. I think we got a long way to go. Yeah? And of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul, how long should we do this? How long are we supposed to be equipped? How long are we supposed to yield ourselves to the fivefold ministry gifts? How long are we supposed to be investing in the strengthening of ourselves so we can do the work of ministry? Until we look like Jesus himself. I think we still have some time on the clock. I think we still have some work to do. I think we still have some work to do. Amen. Verse 14. What happens when I am a man that is perfect? What happens when I am a man that is the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ? Verse 14. Then we would no longer be children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And notice it does not say every wind of false doctrine. There's a lot of doctrines out there that we have accepted that might not be false doctrines, but they elaborate and they expound just like Eve did. Picking and choosing what we want. You just created a doctrine that is outside of God's doctrine. You just created a belief system that's not in line with the word of God. We have to keep the word at the forefront, the foremost, most important thing in our lives. The word. Not my preference, not my idea, not what grandma said, not what my pastor growing up used to say. The word. What does the word say? Because otherwise, I'll be tossed to and fro. That statement, does that not does that not look like what the church is looking like today? Tossed to and fro. We don't even know where we stand. We don't even know what we believe. We don't even know what our agenda is because we're always so busy trying to buy into someone else's or be politically correct. You know what I want more than being politically correct? Being biblically correct. Hello. I want to be biblically correct. 
It's amazing the uproar that we have seen people get into over a virus, a supposed virus that has some sort of potential to to be very dangerous. There's been a virus in this earth for over 6,000 years that has the true capacity to take your life and send you to hell. And we don't see people getting upset about that. They'll get more upset about you wearing a mask or not than if you're living in sin, living with someone you're not supposed to be living with, doing things you're not supposed to be doing, saying things you're not supposed to be saying. They'll be quicker to call you out if you're not wearing a mask than they are. Hey, that that, that lifestyle isn't, that's dangerous. That will kill you. All of a sudden, we're outraged. There's, There's stuff in this world that will literally kill you, literally take your life. More than just remove it from this planet will send you to a life of separation from God himself. There's a virus out there, yeah. And it's dangerous. It's real. And I don't hear anybody in the church speaking up about it and calling people out when we see them doing things that are sending them on a path that will remove them from relationship with their father. When he's already provided everything they need to be redeemed. To be re- I mean, if I stood up here today, hey, guys, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I've, been, I've been holding this. I, I, I have the answer for COVID. I, I've been just holding on to it. I, I should have spoke up. What's the world going to look at us when we had the answer to the virus the whole time to sin? Why didn't you tell me that I was headed this way? Why didn't you tell me that my actions were going to yield this? Why didn't you tell me there was a better way? Why didn't you tell me that there was hope when I was hopeless? Why didn't you tell me that there was peace when I was in depression? Why didn't you tell me that there was joy when I was full of hate? Why didn't you tell me that there was a way to know my worth and value when I was leaning on everybody else to show? Why didn't you show that to me? We're holding on to the anecdote, the, the, the answer, the vaccination, if you will, is in our pocket. It's in our mouths. It's in our hands, but we're not saying it. We're not preaching it. We're not because we're afraid of what they would think. Come on. They're dying and going to hell. But I want to look more like them because I want to be received by them when I've got the answer to pull them out of the mess that they're in. Are you seeing this? That's why we need to be equipped, not just full of head knowledge. This is so important, guys. No longer children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. It's men that trick us into believing lies that are not in the word of God. It's not even blaming it on the devil. It doesn't say by the trickery of that evil, cunning serpent, the snake, the one we call Satan. No, he says the trickery of men got you to believe a lie that God wants to put sickness on you when he's the only one that's made divine health possible to you. That's a trickery of men. That you don't need the Holy Spirit in your life and that's been removed or that was for certain people or that was for a certain time and day but you don't need to be uh, filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and praying in a heavenly land. You don't need, that's trickery of men. It's not the word of God. Our Bible is full of people that did ridiculously crazy stuff. And we can't buy into it because we're not equipped, we're merely educated. I know the story of David and Goliath, but you don't know how to take down giants in your own life. I know the story of of Moses parting the Red Sea, but I don't know how to get over to the promised land myself. Education. Not equipping. It's not empowering. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. We started this out talking about grace and truth. Grace and truth. If Jesus could do it, so can we. 
I'm tired of us either being a grace side or a truth side. I'm tired of us being, you know, either the, the hard and heavy side or the, or the loving and allowing and, and, and condoning side. If Jesus could be full of grace and truth, there's only one expectation for his church in the last days. It's to be full of grace and truth. Period. And if we can't do that, we're not equipped. We're not equipped. Speaking the truth in love will grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part I said every part, I said every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Ephesians 5, 6, and 7. 1, 2, and 3 is your position. 1, 2, and 3 is your condition. 1, 2, and 3 is what Jesus has done for you. 1, 2, and 3 is what has been made available to you. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is being brought out of darkness into light. 1, 2, and 3 is being predestined by the adoption of Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is you've been given a purpose and a destiny before you were even created. Ephesians 5, 6, and 7. Ephesians, uh, 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 I'm sorry, 4, 5, and 6. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is this is what you can do. This is how you can live. This is how you treat people. This is how we have relationships with others. But here in the middle, if we aren't being equipped as the body of Christ, furnished with what we need for use, if we're coming in, hearing, and going out, doing the same thing we were doing before we came in and heard, These are the most powerful verses in this whole book because this is how you appropriate everything else that is said. Everything else that is spoken in Ephesians hinges on 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. We've got to be equipped. We're not going to be simply educated. What's the standard? How do I know when I'm equipped? When I can imitate the one I follow. What's the standard? How do I know I have been equipped when I can imitate the one I follow? If we're not imitating, if we're not being a reproduction, if we don't look like Christ himself, if I don't love like Christ, if I'm not doing the works that Christ did, if I'm not calling out sin when it's sin, and if I'm not loving on those that are far from him and drawing them near to him, if I'm not casting out demons, laying hands on the sick, raising the dead, speaking in new tongues, if I'm not doing everything he said to do as a disciple and a follower of him, I'm not yet equipped. I have some more work to do. Do I have anybody here today that wants to be equipped not just merely educated. Do I have anybody that says, I'm not, I'm not okay with just knowing something. I'm not okay with just knowing stuff. I'm not okay with just filling my head with knowledge. I'm not okay with just going through the motions, but I'm not actually being transformed. I, I saw a quote the other day. I saw a quote the other day. Uh, worship team, if you'd come. The error of the church today is we do not expect a converted man to become a transformed man. The error of the church today is we do not expect a converted man to become a transformed man. Why do you need transforming in your life? Turn the no, turn on the news. Look around you. They're crying out for you. 
They're crying out for you. They're crying out for us. We talk about so much. It's time to do. It's time to do. I'm calling the church to action. Calling the church. Got to hear the word. Got to know the word. Got to do the word. We've got to rise up. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.